kind of new podcast, and we're here to shine new light on the games you love and the love in your games. I'm Lucy Morris. And I'm Lauren Clinic. And welcome to episode two. We have made it. We survived. I'm so excited. <laughs> we are now a real podcast, in case we weren't before, because we have more than one episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure so many die after one, and we're doing better than them, so I'm very excited. Yeah, it's persistence that's the key. Not necessarily quality, but persistence. Yeah, persistence and love. And <laughs> we love you for loving us. Um, thanks so much to everyone that listened. I was going to say watched. Listened to the first episode. <laughs> uh, left us really nice reviews on iTunes. And tweeted at us. And just said all these really nice things. Which made us melt a little inside. You really made our uh, two weeks. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, we've announced that we're aiming for having an episode come out every two weeks. And so Lucy, where can people talk to us on the internet? You can talk to us on the internet wherever you can find us, but mostly on Twitter, where you can find us under at LoveGamesCast or the hashtag LoveGamesCast. And just generally share your thoughts about romance games with us. Doesn't have to be about this episode. You could be sending us suggestions or games that we should review or talk about on this podcast or what you had for lunch yesterday. I also want to know that. Yes, me too. So in terms of some <laughs> recommendations for lunch or for drinks and things like that, Lucy has set up a very romantic setting mm. for her recording tonight. Oh, I have. It was very impromptu. So currently I'm sitting in my lounge, which is also my kitchen and, and the hallway to my toilet. Really romantic. <laughs> <laughs> and the lights are off and I have a almost burnt out candle lit in front of me. And it was half a glass of brandy when I started talking to Lauren, but now it is a mostly empty glass of brandy. So uh, <laughs> I don't know if that makes it more or less romantic. I guess we'll find out as the podcast <laughs> goes on. Talk, talking to me would drive anyone to drink, Lucy. It's just a, it's, it's a very natural urge. <laughs> um, and also, we have a little bit of news in the game development arena. They would like to. Oh, my cat just jumped on the. <laughs> cat just jumped on the table. I'm sorry. Yeah, news. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, I do think that our listeners are going to be fans of cats, so I don't think it's going to be a problem whatsoever. But we were just uh, we were just chatting before about uh, the fact that NaNoWriMo is happening right now. So, Lucy, what is NaNoWriMo? Well, Lauren, NaNoWriMo is a month-long game jam which is hosted on Lemasoft, which is pretty much the biggest hub for visual novel game developers on the internet. Uh, it's a month where game developers get together. Most of them actually don't know each other. It's quite cool. There's a recruitment thread where people can, you know, talk about a concept that they want to make and they look for a logo artist or a programmer or a writer and they come together and make all these wonderful romance games for us to play. And it's been running for a really long time. It's been running since the early 2000s. So it's really contributed a lot to the grassroots visual novel development scene. And if you want to make a romance game, hey, it's only March 7th at time of recording this, you've still got time. Or you could help out another team, or you could just play the games that they're making. And if you're out there, listeners, and if you're participating in NaNoWriMo, or you listen to this and you start to think about participating, feel free to let us know. So you can talk to mm. us at, at LoveGamesCast on Twitter, or use the hashtag LoveGamesCast, because our audience would probably love to play what you're making. Yeah, we'd love to see user-created games from people that listen to our podcast, so shoot them at us. We will play anything. Sounds amazing. Oh, so speaking of which, <laughs> we're supposed to review, <laughs> yes. an epi uh, review an episode, review a game today. What game are we yes. going to review, Lauren? 
Hmm. Well, Lucy, I think you've really got the voice to do this one justice. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Dream Daddy. <laughs> yes, we're going to be talking about Dream Daddy. So Dream Daddy was a title that came out last year that really did... There was a lot of there was a lot of discourse about it. There was a lot of excitement about it. It was really commercially and critically successful. So we're really exciting excited to be chatting about it today because it also does really count as a as a visual novel. So we're really excited to jump in and talk about Hot Dads. Yeah, and I have played a few more routes today as part of my podcast revision, which is the best kind of homework really. Coming home after a long day <laughs> at work to play some romance games. So, Dream Daddy, what is it? It is a it's a romance visual novel. Uh, it's got mm. a few mini games in it, but it's, it's primarily a visual novel. It was written by Leighton Gray and Vernon Shaw. It was developed and published by Game Grumps, who are originally a YouTube Let's Play web series brand. Mm, mm, um, yes. But they branched out and started making Dream Daddy, which is surprising and really cool. Uh, it came out on PC on July 20th. 2017. It had a couple of delays, um, but it ended up coming out and stunning the entire world. And it's a narrative dating game with, yeah, like we said, a collection of mini games and some really killer art with hot dads. Yes, it was really interesting because we're talking a lot about visual novels here. And in the game community, there is a lot of conversation around the visual novel term. And is that even a useful label? And what does it mean when we say visual novel? Does that mean that it's a genre or are we saying that the visual novel is more reflective of the engine that it's built in? So it's a term that both is and, and is not helpful in a whole lot of ways. And there has been a lot of conversation um, around it. So Dream Daddy is very notable for being, as we've mentioned, very commercially and critically successful. It's a Western developed game that definitely does draw some inspiration from Eastern uh, romance games and visual novels as well. But it being a commercially successful visual novel made with some financial backing and really getting quite a lot of mainstream, fairly mainstream interest really does make it make it quite notable. Have you found the, the visual novel label to be limiting, Lucy? Well, I really like Dream Daddy because there's often a lot of naysay about visual novels that because they're so story heavy they're not proper games or they're not marketable because they're just so story heavy the fact that dream daddy was such a amazingly huge success kind of just again reaffirmed that this is a growing genre for us and it's a very marketable mm -hmm. and potentially successful one so i think it's really cool that um that this got funded and that we could play something that ended up just growing the genre and educating people more about the viability of it for us Absolutely. I mean, in my mind, when we're talking about visual novels, visual novels are, for me, character-driven narrative games that often mm -hmm. do have a certain type of user interface. So if you Google search visual novel, there's a general sort of UI or a structure to the visuals that looks quite similar with character and art above and then a text box below. Uh, it's different to interactive fiction games, which some people shorten to IF, which includes things like games made in Inform 7 or games made in Twine that don't have character art and things like that. So there's a few there's a few differences there. But I totally agree with you, Lucy. I really love 
games that tend to be visual novels when they're doing something really fun and really different. They're often narrative and they're often character driven. So that does really open it up to a lot of content around romance, sexuality, intimacy, etc. So it really is one to watch. Dream Daddy was a big breakout as well as Lady Killer in a Bind that was also commercially and critically successful and then won uh, a pretty significant narrative award as well. So keep an eye on the visual novel space. (laughs) Visual novels are such an inherently flexible media and I was really surprised when I found out uh, many years ago that Phoenix Wright was uh, was a visual novel itself, an adventure visual novel. And it seems so removed from the stereotypes that I understood at that time of what visual novels could be that, you know, it it surprised me that this could be under the same tag and be so flexible in that genre. Uh, When I had played visual novels in the past, they'd been mostly solely dating games like Katawa Shoujo. Mm. And yeah, like you can do pretty much anything you want as long as you have those uh, basic mechanics in there. So it's really not Mm. restrictive. And as we've seen, like if you're innovating on it, it can be hugely marketable. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're really excited to see where it goes. But yeah, Dream Daddy was a really exciting game to see have a lot of hype and have a lot of interest. It's Mm -hmm. interesting because it almost started as a joke because these days the term daddy basically means fuckable. Like the (laughs) meme stuff just got, you know, it just... People are tweeting fuck me daddy at the Pope and crazy shit like that. So it's oh becoming part I of this. I need more brandy. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, this is why we have the explicit rating. Um, <laughs> True. So, you know, it's really become this meme kind of a term uh, that millennials and the, the generation younger than millennials really lent into. So when somebody pitched, you know, this is a dating game where you're a dad dating other dads dad dad daddy a lot of people were like this is a great joke game idea but the thing that's really surprising about dream daddy is that it's not it's really it's really earnest it's really heartfelt the whole Mm. thing is written really really well and it totally it totally respects and acknowledges meme culture and what the kids these days are into you know Mm. game grumps published it which is really popular with youth and the whole thing's full of youtubery style um quips and things like that but the game took what sounded like a joke concept and what a lot of youtubers were like lol gay gay dad game and made a really really earnest awesome piece of work it was great yeah i mean not only is dads dating other dads a really great pitch in itself like you won't Mm. hear that and not want to play it or ask more questions about it which is always a good thing uh, for your one-liner but i think we have to get away from this is going to sound really hipster, but demonizing the millennial. I think if we embrace millennial culture and especially the innovative and creative ways that millennials communicate and talk to each other, that's only going to add to success. And I agree. That's kind of what Game Grumps and uh, Dream Daddy did so well in this. The writing in Dream Daddy is very relatable and it's very, you know, how twenties and thirties people would communicate online or to each other and all those little nuances are in there that makes it feel very homely and very personal because we all know how that text translates. Absolutely. Something that I've really liked about Leighton Gray, who's one of the writers of the title, was listening to a an interview with Leighton on Tone Control, which is a different podcast that Steve Gaynor of 
Fulbright, you know, Tacoma gone home fame runs where he sits down with other designers and game creators and asks about their background and how did they get started and what they're influenced in. What was really interesting in the tone control interview were several different elements about how Dream Daddy came to be. But she talked a lot about being uh, being very aware of meta-modernism. So mm. meta-modernism is a set of developments that have happened in philosophy, aesthetics, culture, etc. And they're a reaction to post-modernism. So a definition of meta-modernism is like elements that examine modernism and postmodernism and again this is all sounding super duper hips hipstery but uh, <laughs> but i found it super duper interesting and it has to do with existential angst and the works of people like uh like shia labeouf in the art and the weird uncomfortable self-critical works that he has done so it's relativism irony pastiche you know existential dread jokes about wanting to die and things like that it's, mm. it's this really interesting strange space that we're in and metamodernism is coming into uh things like vaporwave and uh and the art world and what's happening in theater and movies and dream daddy is an interesting work that has metamodernism elements in it which i found totally fascinating to start to learn about I've hmm. not done a good job of, of exploring it. I definitely recommend people look at it. So it's uh, po- it's post it's post postmodernism or wow. metamodernism. So have a look into it because it's really 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 interesting and it's really tied to like meme culture and things that we're all doing without really realizing. Super fascinating. Oh, I learned something today. That sounds really that does sound really fascinating. I'll have to give that a Google <laughs> when I we turn this podcast off. <laughs> Sounds really good. So yeah, so so Dream Daddy, I believe it it was on Kickstarter way back when. I, I think. think so. I don't recall. I only recall the hype coming up to it when I learned it was mm. a thing. Mm. Uh, and I was at Stugan while this was happening with a certain Kate Gray, and uh, we ended up streaming the first I think two hours of Dream Daddy on Twitch with both of us doing very very terrible voices for each well Kate was good I was terrible (laughs) of each character in the game um but there was a few delays leading up I think it only added to the hype because it was interesting to see how much people really wanted this game like it Mm, wasn't it mm. obviously wasn't a joke game anymore at that point because people genuinely wanted this content and they wanted to play it and they were they were a bit um rabid for it it was it was really fascinating to see the delays are an interesting note because it was a first time game i believe for a whole lot of the team and i believe game grumps hadn't financed slash published slash developed a game before and leighton gray and vernon shaw were were good friends that did the writing for it but i think it was a first time experience for a lot of them i know leighton is very very young and so i think it was actually you know it was maybe a first ship title for a lot of people and they definitely ended up crunching towards the end of it they had a lot of qa issues with it and they were really open uh, in saying, you know, we left it too late to, mm. you know, we left it too late to be honest about how much we were actually overworking ourselves. And we just wanted to keep crunching until it was until it was done. And so we could ship it on time because everyone has been so hyped. And they have since talked about the emotional, how difficult it was to get yelled at on the Internet uh, <laughs> and be, uh, you know, and have a lot of people be super angry or be super disappointed when you're already feeling really burnt out and upset. So I really do appreciate that they've talked about 
the difficulty of the experience. And then when it did come out, come out, everybody really, really loved it. Yeah, it's never easy releasing a game, no matter whether you're a veteran or whether you're a newbie to the industry. It's always a stressful Mm. time because things always go wrong you don't expect. You could QA a title forever and, you know, a bug comes out on a certain computer or a certain device that you didn't expect. So I think that they handled it really well. It was really nice to see a lot of developers supporting them and Mm. defending Mm. them on Twitter and making sure Mm. that they were getting time to look after themselves and... From the from the game developer perspective, I think they're very well supported. Um, from the gamer perspective, I think there's a lot of uh, lack of knowledge from what goes on behind the scenes to deliver mm. a product that's as big as Dream Daddy was. So I'm really happy that the team got through. Um, crunch isn't great, but I'm glad it was such a success for them and that it was hopefully an overall positive experience. Oh, I was just going to add, uh, I definitely recommend checking out that interview with Leighton Gray uh, with that's on Tone Control with Steve Gaynor. Really, really interesting background. Definitely check this game out. Um, as, as you can probably guess, whenever Lucy and I sit down to talk about a game, we will be spoiling a whole lot of it. So if you mm-hmm. haven't played this game, it's a really good time to pause, go away, play through the game. I generally say you can play through one route. I don't know, Lucy, what do you think? Maybe in four hours you could play the game beginning to end? Yeah, it's not a super long game, which I actually quite enjoyed because I don't have a ton of free time to burn on games these days. You can play each route in about under an hour, I think. Definitely like within mm. 40 minutes. So it's not a huge time investment and you get really high quality experiences out of it. And it is designed that you can just reload it and take that the same dad dad sona that you've made and go on dates with the other dads before you go into the third date in the game, which is when you're you've locked off for a certain route, I believe. Mm-hmm. There's a pop up that comes up and it says, "Well, you know what they say about third dates? Things get pretty serious." So it does give you a bit <laughs> of warning that that something is going to happen. Uh, Mm. But yeah, we will be spoiling things. Uh, It's totally okay if you want to skip this episode. We had someone that joined us last week who hadn't finished Andromeda and they were romancing Jarl and they were like, okay, we're going to put this on hold for a little bit, but I'll come back to your next episode. That's fine. You can join us whenever you want. (laughs) I'm so charmed. When we have a whole collection of episodes, you can just have a look through the list and then choose what you're excited by once you've played the game that we're talking about and then hop into the hashtag. Don't feel like you have to only talk to us about the most recent episode. You can talk Mm -hmm. to us about whatever you're playing now, things that we've played previously. Basically, you know, Lucy and I still rant on about games that came out in 2006. (laughs) So, you know, it it never gets old. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. So turning to the romance options in Dream Daddy, because we're really here to talk about the love, um, what Mm -hmm. kind of romance options are in Dream Daddy, Lauren? So in Dream Daddy, you can date a whole host of dads. Playing Dream Daddy (laughs) does involve making a dad sona of your own. So there is a dad creator at the start of the game. And I think they say something like, build that dad. And it's it's like a really good, super funny moment that you're greeted with immediately that just really sets the tone. And so mm. when you're making your dad sona, it involves body hair, eye color, hair color, the shirt that you'll be in all the time. It includes uh, body types. You can give yourself um, a certain name. My dad was Skippy Miles um, because <laughs> Mine was, I couldn't think. 
Mine was Vladimir Dead Sunski. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a silly, lighthearted game, so making a silly um, dad name is super duper fun and enjoyable, Mm. so I definitely recommend it. I also want to give a shout out, some of you may or may not know, in my my day job, I'm a senior UI designer in games, and I want to give a quick shout out, even though it's a little bit irrelevant, to Greg Bertha, who did the UI for that dad creator, and I think they did an amazing job on that. Uh, it's, It's just done in such a humorous way, and it's really hard to make character creators fun, because... They're so they're so technical, uh, and I think they did a really good job. So thanks, Greg. Lauren, continue. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. The the UI interlude. I mean, really, Lucy, your background <laughs> in UI to me is so interesting. I really do mm-hmm. want you to go into <laughs> the UI of all the games that we that we chat about because games approach these things in a lot of different ways, and oh, some boy. visual novels have really boring, blah. <laughs> an uninteresting uh, UI, but I agree with you. I think I think the dead creator is awesome, and I think generally the UI of the game itself is lovely. Mm-hmm. I really hope we get but to anyway. do an episode on like six active time events at some point. But that's aside from <laughs> the point. <laughs> yeah. So so romance options. So in Dream Daddy, there are several dads that you can date. So you can date Brian. He's like the burly, red-headed bear style uh, style character. Uh, when you meet Brian in the game, he his personality is like the really fiercely proud dad who maybe mm. is like a little bit passive aggressive. <laughs> and um, the first mini game you play with him is like a Pokemon battle where you're bragging about, you know, I my daughter that. is better than your daughter. It was like a really <laughs> funny, funny, funny first experience to have. Um, so yeah, so that's that's Brian's character. There's Matt, who is really, really beautiful and works Mm. in a coffee store and he's full of music band references that I don't get and makes awesome (laughs) banana bread. And and he's he's super lovely. Uh, There's also Joseph. Joseph is a really interesting divisive character where he is kind Mm. of the the white, blue eye, blonde hair, youth minister um somewhat somewhat creepy <laughs> in my yeah. opinion dad that i'm really interested in discussing a little bit further we've also got hugo so hugo super handsome he's your daughter's teacher at school really refined um maybe like authoritarian dad that uh that you know just wants to be cool and just wants the best for his students mm-hmm. there's craig um craig is i think the dad with the most kids i think he has three or four kids um I think he used to be a college roommate, so you have a bit of back history with with Craig, who's also the sports bro and wants to, you know, you can you can go to gym with him and uh, try to get fit again. There's Damien, who's like a um, goth dad who has beautiful long hair and is pale and wears purple contact lenses and dresses in Victorian fashion and um, <laughs> just is really intense about about his hobbies. And then we also have Robert, who's kind of like the Bad dad, know, like the the bad dad. Yeah, he's like rough around the <laughs> edges and um, grizzled looking, and you can find him drinking in the bar and everything. So, yeah, so there's a big variety. Uh, the, similarly to a lot of dating games, there are different archetypes. Mm. I would say they're not they're not super tropey, but they definitely do have types. Yeah, and the game leans into them having types. You know, like bad dad, goth dad, authoritarian dad, sports dad. All the conversation, <laughs> sports dad. You know, the conversation around it is is you know really just leaning into it. But there really is a big variety there. There's a lot of diverse representation going on as well. So 
we have dads that are people of color. We have dads that are parents from different types of situations, blended families, bio dads, um, adoptions, etc. Um, dads that have different body types that I think we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Damien, who I romanced, who I'll go into later, uh, is is canonically trans, which is something that you can that you can hear dialogue from Damien that hints at that, but he doesn't really come out and have a long conversation about being trans. The creators confirmed it later. But for the trans community that played it that I've seen, they're like, Damien's talking about wearing Victorian appropriate binders and getting ready at the start of the day. And his body figure matches the the silhouette of the dad Sona character creator when you select a binder bod. So people wear binders for several reasons, but a big reason that someone might wear a chest binder uh, might be because they are gender diverse or that they are trans as well. So a lot of people have praised the character creator from, you know, subtly just acknowledging different body types and different clothing options, but also just letting letting there be this this hint at trans representation in their characters, but also in the character creator, which I don't see much of. Some people are like, mm. oh, you know... Saints Row lets you have a feminine body but have facial hair and things, but it's a little bit different to say, hey, we're including this clothing that can be really important to these gender diverse people in the character creator, which Mm. I think has been one of the things people have really loved about this game. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. And also the introduction to the story where you can establish the backstory with your dad, Sona, and Amanda. So you can mm. say whether or not you adopted her or um, who your partner was, whether, you know, what gender they were. And I think that giving the player that kind of agency, not only in the character creator, but also able to craft their own backstory, like whether or not they gave birth or, you know. it's. I think it's really cool that they're exploring these themes that other games haven't touched. And we need to hear more of these stories because they are very real. And good on them for, good on them for doing it. Absolutely. And you mentioned Amanda. So Amanda is mm. your daughter in the game. And to me, I was so surprised because... <laughs> I, I should have realized, you know, it's called Dream Daddy, a dad dating simulator. But while there's a lot of dating, there's also a lot of dadding. You're also doing a yeah. lot of emotional labor with your child. And for me, that was that was even the best part. Like, I loved my relationship yeah. with my daughter. And it was genuinely challenging to try and follow the challenges she was having. She was a really mm. realistically written teenager, having a hard time and doing well and doing badly at various things and you had to try and be a good dad and I I, I should have realized yeah. <laughs> that I it was, was gonna say that the kids in this game are almost the star not the not the romances and absolutely it's really interesting to see I think we discussed this a bit in the Mass Effect Andromeda episode but to see romance that is framed by real life struggles and real life responsibilities and you have to put your child first and a lot of the dads are really into like looking after their children and doing the best that they can mm. for them and that's just part of their story and I think there are a lot of I mean there are a lot of dads in games uh we see a lot of dads in games <laughs> but we really see like the struggles that they go through with regards to parenting and being a good parent so I think that yes. those struggles really add to the romance and it's like a, a shared struggle between the characters as well because they're both parents and they're both uh, navigating this world. So Yes, and, and often when you are dating a dad, you are parenting 
together, not of shared mm. children, but you're giving advice to them or they're giving advice to you. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. I, I really, really appreciate it. I think it's really mm. interesting that it also addresses themes of uh, merging families as well. We don't mm. often see themes in games about, say, step parents or new parents that come into a family. It's usually just nuclear families that have, have been established since birth. But mm. you see, I just played Matt's route for this podcast, and you see Amanda starts to invite um, Matt's daughter over for sleepovers and give her advice about starting high school and all that sort of stuff. And I think it's really important uh, to note that they kind of approach this uh, important aspect of relationships. If you're both parents, integrating your families together is a really big challenge. And shedding some light on that was really cool. Yeah, that is really, really awesome. Who did you romance in Dream Daddy? So I romanced Damien, and so I haven't I haven't romanced more dads. I had I had chats and went to the gym uh, with sports sports bro dad a couple of times and things like that. But in terms of romantic attachment, I dated Damien, which was a really really nice experience. So Damien is a huge enthusiast of the Victorian era, and he's always full of these historic little quips and wearing period appropriate clothing and has extensively renovated his house but <laughs> he is actually really scared of horror movies so I thought he Aww. would like I thought he'd like going to like it's like called like epic vampire kills 2 or something and he was so scared he was like grabbing my hand and pretending he's like oh no I was just thinking about the scary blood magic I'm gonna write in, in a book later and all this kind Aww. of goofy stuff and he takes you on a romantic um a romantic uh, picnic to a cemetery. He explains in the Victorian era, there was nowhere to go that had access to nature and sculptures and was a beautiful setting. So many Victorians would picnic in cemeteries because there mm. weren't museums and there weren't really public parks. And, and I was like, oh, all of this is very interesting. It's really mm. heartwarming and sweet. I definitely recommend it as a route. And I, I actually didn't cheat and look up how to get, you know, a perfect ending or anything because the tone of the game had been so fair so far. You know, we're talking a lot about accessibility and it not being a stack grinding game or very abstracted, letting players save whenever they wanted to. All of that makes it a lot more easygoing and less intense than some dating games choose to go. So I quite easily got Damien's uh, good ending, which was really, really sweet and romantic, where Damien basically says, you know, I, I love all this Victorian era stuff, but I don't keep it up all the time. You know, I volunteer at a dog shelter and I'm an IT guy at a realty store, you know, like, would you still love me even though I'm not this cool goth guy all the time? And it's just mm. it's just really sweet, super duper positive. I haven't checked out what his bad ending is, uh, or you know what happens if you really haven't built a connection after three dates. But I believe all of the routes have good ending and a and like a flat ending or like a, a somewhat bad ending. And then there's also kind of a secret ending that I think we're going to talk about a little bit later. Mm. But yeah, overall, Damien is a really lovely, a really lovely love interest, uh, well written and involves a lot of parenting moments with his his wayward son that's uh, reenacting Edgar Allan Poe scenes at, at school in a way that causes a few problems. <laughs> How about really you, cute. Lucy? Who did you romance? <laughs> so uh, when I came back to New Zealand and played it properly, uh, I actually played it with my partner, Elliot, 
and we made our dad's sona together and then we chose who to romance together and mm. we romanced craig first uh who was sports dad and then we romanced mm. joseph uh which i think we're going to talk about a little bit more in a couple of minutes so craig as lauren mentioned is your gym bro gym bro university friend and he's got a little baby and he's got twin daughters who play baseball and I really enjoyed his route because it was just really, really wholesome. It was Cute. like old friends catching up and discovering that they've got these new lives. They've moved on from their frat party lifestyles and they've become adults and uh, they've come of age and they realize that they're a really good fit together. And I thought it was just a really cute um, vanilla sort of <laughs> sort of uh, romance, which is nice sometimes. Uh, we mm. moved on to Joseph, who is the youth minister, the blue eyes, blonde hair. He's got a lot of kids as well. He has a lot of blonde, blue eyed children who are called like Christy, Christopher, Krish, Krulubla. Um, <laughs> and they all look like they're dead inside, which is interesting, I guess. And uh, Joseph's route's really interesting because he's married and there's this implication of uh, infidelity and the added implication of maybe sin and uh, the fact that he's a minister and that, you know, you're not supposed to be dating someone who's married and also very devout, I guess. And, and I totally what... love his wife. Mary's amazing. Yeah. Mary is really cool, and she gets introduced to you, I think, before Joseph does, depending on what you choose, because uh, you meet her at a bar with Robert, and she's real sassy and and kind of um, kick-ass. So it's really cool to, to see that kind of dichotomy between her and Joseph. What I really liked about Joseph's route is that you... I don't know whether or not this is the truth now, because I didn't know that you could get bad ends, but... I got turned down at the end of the game and it's very, very rare that players get turned down in romance games. Mm. So you go out on the third date with him and you go on a boat and you have sex together and like you both have a really good time. But then at the epilogue, he says, you know, I've got to work on my marriage and we, we can't be together. And I was sitting there indignant, like, what? We had an amazing night on that boat, and you're just going to turn me away now? Um, but I think that that was really powerful, because rejection is such an unexplored theme in games that it was really effective. And, I mean, <laughs> you, are kind of, you are kind of inciting an affair. Um, mm. So it was a really interesting problem to tackle, and I think it was handled really adult. Like you spend a lot of time together and you had a really good night and you know you realize it wasn't the best the best of moves to make and he decides to work on his marriage and stay with his wife and I don't know mm. it's it's a really complex story and I think Joseph's a very complex character because he also mm. has a secret mm. ending which was discovered after <laughs> the game was shipped. Would you like to tell yes. us about the secret ending, Lauren? <laughs> <laughs> so the secret ending was something that, that I thought was completely amazing when someone had asked me, oh, did you hear about the secret ending or the cult ending and things? And I mean, Dream Daddy was such a such a popular game and really had such a fan base that there is a Reddit a subreddit, Dream Daddy, that has over two and a half thousand subscribers. And I'm looking at it right now. There's 10 <laughs> people that are online for a game that came out quite a while ago. 
Um, so it really, it really does speak to how super engaged the fans are. And a lot of effort has gone into the cult uh, ending. Before we go deep down into the weirdness of this secret cult ending, there's a really good essay by someone called Vry Kaiser, who hopefully I'm not mispronouncing their name awfully, but it's an essay called Angels in America and Log Cabin Republicans, How Dream Daddy's Joseph Reflects Gay Conservatism. So that that was an essay that I read last year and I'd forgotten about it until now, but it's a really good analysis to say Joseph is this nuanced, complex, you know, morally complicated person and is actually, mm. you know, an interesting tool to it to analyze what happens in gay conservatism, what happens in, you know, in basically religions where youth ministers are closeted and are potentially having affairs and things like that. Just has mm -hmm. a lot of really interesting good analysis and points out that in a game like Dream Daddy where all of the dads are bisexual, gay, or pansexual, um, omnisexual, any kind of a label, because there are so many different explorations of queerness, it's okay to have characters that aren't morally good. Whereas mm -hmm. when you have one queer character in a cast of otherwise hetero romances, there kind of is pressure for that one queer romance to be representative of a wide branch or be a, be a good person, be a good character as well. So Joseph is allowed to be kind of kind of evil maybe more evil than we even thought because of this cult ending business that we're going to discuss but joseph can be this complicated unsatisfying quote-unquote ending because there is several romances to choose from which i thought was a really really good point cool so so this cult ending lucy mm, <laughs> so yes. so so there's this crazy <laughs> this wild, super engaged fan base for Dream Daddy. And so somebody figured out that there was unused code and unused assets. And this happens sometimes where people go way into source code and trawling through things to maybe pull out um, voice files so they can use it to, you know, make some sweet tunes or, you know, they want to use images for things. But yeah, some people found some unused dialogue, some unused art assets. People then, ha I think they like ripped that code, put it into a different visual novel engine like RenPy instead to like reverse engineer, do all kinds of crazy shit way back when to access this content. And uh, so if you look up Dream Daddy cult ending or Joseph bad ending, you'll get something that uh, that isn't isn't finished, isn't polished, looks a bit weird. But uh, what it seems to imply is that uh, I think the, the dad wakes up and Joseph has kidnapped him and it's implied you're going to be sacrificed. I mean, you watched mm. this really recently, Lucy. How would you describe what you watched? <laughs> I feel like it was really non-Euclidean um, and very Lovecraftian <laughs> because, yeah, you wake up in this the dungeon and he he's definitely acting differently to the rest of the game and he implies that something something bigger than all of us is going on and that they require sustenance or something. And you <laughs> attempt to escape, so Mary sneaks in and unties her ropes and frees you and you're running out of this dungeon thing, which is apparently under the cul-de-sac where all the dads live. It's this really weird meta summary kind of poking fun at the very nature of Dream Daddy because... Joseph talks about, oh, why do you think there are so many eligible single dads in the area? That was all me. Like, I killed all their wives and all that sort of stuff. Oh, so it's it's a very interesting, like, dark 
black humor meta take on why Dream Daddy exists. Um, so you're starting to run away from the the non-Euclidean dungeon, and it's like you lose track of time, and your your clothes wear through, and your fingernails grow, and you don't know how long it's been since you're running down this tunnel, and it feels like weeks or maybe months has passed because Joseph says something like, "Oh, this space exists outside of all of us, and um, it's between dimensions or something." And then you end up escaping, but it turns out to be another figment of your imagination. And you end up back in the dungeon when you thought you were at home. And you end up running into Mary again, who then stabs Joseph and then feeds him to her and his children. I think that's the implied implied ending that the children, they they say, oh, we are so hungry. And then they just walk over to him and he's like, this body is just a vessel. (laughs) I'll see you in your nightmares, Mary. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) So completely weird. So in my view, the cult ending really is almost like a tribute to otome games which are known for often having good endings and bad endings and often those bad endings are really quite disturbing there's often abuse or death or obsession present in a lot of the bad endings of otome games so in my mind the cult ending for joseph has been kept deliberately ambiguous it's obviously incited heaps of speculation there's a gigantic thread in the subreddit about it but it may also be an idea that the developers explored and put aside or it might be something that was intended as a discoverable secret and something weird for the obsessives to find. And maybe it is a little bit of an homage to just how fucked up and weird some Otome game endings do actually get. So really, really interesting. And again, just feeds into how bizarre and divisive the character of Joseph is in that game. I was also going to add that in games, if you're a developer, if you're writing code and there's code that you didn't end up using or it's not exactly working, often as a developer you might comment out that code. So you put something around it that means that your system isn't going to try reading or running that code. You can keep it there kind of like saying, this recipe isn't exactly working, I'll come back to it and fix it later. Or we haven't figured out if we're going to keep it, but I will keep it here in case I do want to use this code. And sometimes games ship with unfinished code or files that went unused. And so a lot of people have have gone through, you know, really driven, engaged fans have gone through and, uh, you know, they'll, they'll decompile all of your code and go through everything and then speculate on what they find. So if you don't want a consumer to ever have an idea that you might have attempted something, you definitely have to be super careful to scrub all of it. So... There was another case where fans of the Persona series had found in, it must have been in, I think it was in 4, that the Yosuke character had unused lines uh, and unused dialogue that implied Yosuke had, who's a male character, had a crush on the male protagonist. And so maybe Yosuke could have been a dateable route in that game, but then wasn't fully implemented or was stripped and there was just some stray lines in there. And that totally set off the online community of saying, you know, a lot of people were really happy that the developers had thought of having content that hinted at it, but were angry that it wasn't fully expressed and kept in it. So it's just another interesting case where in a tech savvy world where players can take games apart and have a look at things, there will be intention and your your intention will be discussed, but also the things that you didn't intend or changed your mind on, they might get discussed as well. But that's all we have time for today. 
But we just want to thank everybody for listening. Please check out Dream Daddy. Really good, super, super wonderful game that does something very unique. And it's, you know, it's very fairly priced, excellently written. And leave those developers a a review and support them as much as you can, because it is quite a brave, interesting, unusual project. And we look forward to seeing more from Game Grumps and from uh, Leighton Gray and Vernon Shaw that, that wrote the game as well. So I'm definitely a fan now and maybe you'll be too. So stay tuned to at lovegamescast on Twitter and please give us some feedback, thoughts or questions with hashtag lovegamescast uh, on any social media platform that you see fit. We'll look forward to speaking to you again in another couple of weeks. And if you have enjoyed us, please leave a review on, on iTunes. You can comment on the podcast in Podbean. We're also on Pocket Casts as well. And once we have enough episodes, we'll also be on Spotify. So please let us know what you think. We're having a really great time putting these together for you. And we look forward to bringing you the next episode really soon. So thank you so much, listeners. And thank you so much, Lucy, for spending time with me on this romantic uh, evening, morning or afternoon. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.